Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. As you know, and as we explained, Jim and I are both on vacation this week in very different places. But uh, given the fact that we're both gone, we did not want to leave you without uh, good content for this week on the Three Martini Lunch. And today we're going to be looking at the year that it's been, almost, since the complete collapse of Afghanistan and the debacle that really changed the Biden administration in a way that's been, to this point, irreversible. So in this particular edition, we're going to go bad, good, crazy, because you can't start this story without focusing on the bad. Jim, uh, it was, I believe, early July of uh, 2021. We're at a press conference. Joe Biden just kind of snarkily, if not angrily, dismissed the idea that the Taliban could take over complete control of Afghanistan and in relatively short order. I mean, it was just uh, just absurd. It's not going to be anything like the fall of Saigon with uh, helicopters leaving off the roof of uh, embassies and consulates and so forth. Well, as we know, just a few weeks later, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the Taliban ended up gobbling up huge swaths of land and then eventually taking over Kabul. There was this bizarre uh, deal with the Taliban where we could use the airport. We'd already given up Bagram, stupidly. And so there was this kind of funneling of people desperate to get to the airport through these checkpoints. And it just uh, turned in, into a, uh, a total mess. Uh, the, the military doing the best it could, the 82nd Airborne, at the uh, Kabul airport. But uh, the U.S. completely unprepared to get people out. Uh, the Pentagon making the decision not to go outside of the airport walls to go get American citizens or green card holders or Afghan allies. And so you had the images of uh, people flocking to the airport and people literally hanging on the wings and falling off as they were taking off. It was just a horrific situation. And, of course, the darkest moment was when 13 American U.S. service members died in a terrorist attack outside of the Abbey Gate right by the airport. And so, Jim... So many details uh, we could go down here, but this is just was just a debacle from start to finish. Diplomatically, um, the military planning, not the, the, the troops who are executing it at the airport, but the higher-ups at the Pentagon and so forth. It was just a uh, political and, and strategic disaster, and it was completely preventable. Yeah, disbelief is the word that I keep coming back to. Um, and it does not feel like a year has passed. It feels, you know, it was just a few months ago. Uh, I had a couple of readers who had been in Afghanistan, uh, either in the military or as contractors, and were involved in trying to get their former employees and former friends, and, you know, and old friends, is a better way of putting it, out of the country. Uh, tried to keep readers updated on that. It sounded like the U.S. State Department was absolutely no help. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear everybody on the ground was simply overwhelmed by the circumstances and what they were being asked to do. Uh, the systems did not work. My you know, readers were reporting emails bouncing back and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we would later learn that uh, Austin and Millie had said to the president they, they thought it was a good idea to keep the uh, Bagram Air Base open, to use that as a second point for evacuations. And the president rejected that option. Uh, Biden would later say he did not remember anyone telling him to keep, keep those that option open. Uh, this is one of those cases where I may very well believe the president. This, this may be he's lying and he's simply trying to cover his butt, or it's possible the president simply doesn't remember things anymore. Uh, that's a, another option which we should never underestimate. Um, 
I think it's embarrassing as a country. I think, you know, there's this overwhelming sense that we gave our word to protect certain people. And then when it became politically difficult, the administration largely abandoned them and not just abandoned them to any old fate. I mean, we know the Taliban is going to torture and murder these people. During this time, I had certain people in this uh, community who were trying to get people out and they were forwarding me pictures of like beheaded people and things like that. This was really horrifying. This was really embarrassing. This is not what's supposed to happen under the arsenal of democracy and the explanations from the, the administration never made sense. Uh, it just seemed, as I said, unbelievable. It's hard to get your head around the, the, the U.S. could be so uh, in denial uh, when Biden was saying, don't worry, you're not going to see helicopters flying off the uh, roof, uh, the embassy roof. The Taliban was advancing. We, we all kind of knew this. Uh, apparently, the deliberate strategy had been to say to the Taliban, uh, the, the uh, free Afghan army, well, you guys, good luck. We're cutting off the air support that you've basically been using for the past decade or so. And the Afghan army, when you take away the air support, was just not going to be in any position to fight the way they had. And yet Biden has said, yeah, I have more faith in the Afghan army than I do in the Taliban. Um, that, that was basically a strategy that was almost designed to fail. It was extraordinarily unrealistic to expect the Afghan army without the air support that it was designed to, to operate in tandem with uh, what was going to happen. And as we saw the images of the Taliban seizing enormous amounts of U.S. arms and weapons and, and helicopters and, and vehicles and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, there's that expression from the Vietnam War of America looking like a pitiful, helpless giant. And I think that was that feeling in so many Americans. As of this recording, um, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, which always operated in tandem with the Taliban, there was never any indication the Taliban cut ties to Al-Qaeda as the U.S. had insisted as a precondition for withdrawal and peace for many years. Um, you know, there hasn't been another attack, but they certainly are in operations with them. There's a bit of an irony that the Taliban and ISIS-K are in conflict uh, we look at that bunch and just see all is it's Islamists all the way down. We don't really care which flavor or brand or tribe they are. But all in all, there's no disputing that since the withdrawal, the circumstances in Afghanistan have gone from terrible to even worse. Uh, widespread famine, uh, humanitarian disaster. One of the uh, UN officials or someone who characterized it as the worst humanitarian disaster in world history. Now, maybe you can point to other ones, but clearly it's one of the worst in a very long time. And again, if this was not entirely preventable, then we certainly some decisions could have mitigated this at least a little bit. And this administration did not do that. And, you know, if Biden has mentioned Afghanistan since then, except in a defensive, don't blame me, it was four or five days ago type context, I've missed it. Uh, Biden washed his hands of this and assumed that, you know, everything else would turn out fine. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about the long-term consequences of that, but I think it's a deeply embarrassing, humiliating, outraging chapter in American history and an ignoble end to what I think was a very noble effort on the part of the United States and its allies after 9-11. You're absolutely right about every single bit of that. Not only was the policy haphazard and uh, completely uh, wrong for the situation, but the longer tentacles of this uh, we're seeing now. Uh, Putin sees that. China sees that. Iran sees that. America leaving its allies to whatever fate the Taliban wants to dish out. And eventually you can get America to 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 give up in certain situations. Now, uh, we were at the point where, um, you know, drawing down more uh, made some sense. But the way they did it was completely unrealistic. 
And then to add embarrassment on top of embarrassment, of course, there was the uh, the wrong airstrikes where we targeted the aid worker and the kids instead of actual terrorists. I'm not sure if we've maybe we've taken out a few terrorists related to that, uh, but I can't remember it if we have. We obviously took out Zerkawi a few days ago, and that's great news. But everything about that emboldened the enemy, not only right there, but around the world. And it's just uh, the, the, the lasting impact of this is going to be felt for a very long time. All right, Jim, on to the good aspect of this. And there weren't many, but uh, the people who leaped into action here instead of our government uh, were the people that knew the good people in Afghanistan, the people who had helped us over the past 20 years, the people who had been interpreters, who had been soldiers side by side with us against the Taliban in different parts of the country. And they leaped into action. Uh, It was called Operation Pineapple, Task Force Pineapple, Pineapple Express, however you want to call it. Uh, And Jim, the details uh, as they are officially told are that uh, they used their contacts as kind of like an underground railroad to get uh, valued assets from one trusted person to the next trusted person to the next trusted person and on to the airport where they had kind of a a deal with uh, people they knew inside the 82nd Airborne. And so there was this narrow spot in the wall, apart from where the throngs of people were trying to gather at the gates, where uh, they were able to get through. I'm constantly told, Jim, that none of these people were actually on the ground there. I don't actually believe that, but I think that's the way of uh, of uh, trying to make it so that the government doesn't uh, get in trouble or they don't get in trouble or something. But I have a hard time thinking there weren't any Sherpas along the way there. But nonetheless, the people who honored their commitment to the Afghan people were the people that honored their oath to our Constitution when they signed up for service, that fought there at various times from the very beginning of the war in Afghanistan to the very end. And they were trying to do their very best to make sure American citizens, green card holders, and the Afghans that helped us uh, got out. They got uh, hundreds and hundreds out, maybe even thousands out. Uh, Many allies are still there, uh, and their lives are obviously in in peril every day there. But uh, as far as I know, the efforts to some extent are still going on. It's a lot harder now. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, the people who did everything they could in that situation, which is government speak for, we're not sure what we're going to do at this time, were the veterans who rolled up their sleeves, potentially risked their lives, and helped out as many friends as they could. You know, one of the uh, people involved in this characterized it to me that when you are deployed in Afghanistan, usually, uh, you know, the military does not want you having a lot of downtime because, uh, you know, the downtime is when depression is going to set in. Downtime is when you're going to miss your family. Downtime is when you're going to realize the difficulty of the situation you're in. And that's when problems can really start. So they keep you busy. But that means you're working a lot. And but humans need that sense of connection. Humans need that sense of camaraderie. And this person said, you know, you don't have your wives, your, your spouses, your kids, you know, like that with you. But you have your Afghan interpreters around you. And they kind of, obviously, the, the other folks in your platoons. And they kind of become your surrogate family during that time period. There is a lot of downtime. It's not all constant fighting, shooting, and war. And so that's when, you know, you joke around, you tell stories. It kind of becomes this surrogate, you know, working family around you. And then your time ends and you, you know, exchange uh, you know, emails or phone numbers or ways of staying in touch. And you, you know, you, you still think about them every now and then you come back, you know, to the United States and, and maybe you leave the military, but you still think about those years. You think about those, those friends you made. And when all of a sudden they're in trouble and not just, you know, Oh, you know, a bad government might be taking over. Afghanistan may have never been a great government, but man, Oh man, when the Taliban's coming back and you know that these people, they're going to die if they, if people know that they helped the Americans. Well, then all of a sudden these people mobilized because they felt like their family, these folks had become family. 
And God, what would we do to save our family from a situation like that? So, uh, you know, there was this represented the best of America when a lot of us felt like our government was not representing that and perhaps was representing the worst of America. This eagerness to cover their tails, wash their hands, get out of a a bad situation and and not care about the consequences, Uh, that these folks were going to be beyond responsible. These folks were going to be heroic at a time when our government was being very irresponsible. And maybe that is the. Uh, only good thing that came out of this, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was also, it was very strange. In a time when our government wasn't willing to act, we had this weird surrogate, almost substitute military running rescue operations when the government itself was not willing to do that. So that does make you proud to be an American and kind of balances out all of the shame and all the anger and everything else you feel. Uh, but it never should have been required of these folks. And I, I kind of wonder... Um, whether our government is a little ashamed and doesn't want spotlight on those groups because the contrast is just too horrific. Very well said. And I think that might be part of it, too. It might be part of it, too. But, um, the, yeah, the heroic effort and people, many of whom are retired, of course. Um, in fact, I'm sure they were all retired because <laughs> you're not going to get permission to do that if, they're, if your military commanders don't want you to do that. So, you know, working in all sorts of different jobs. Um, I know one was a teacher, others working as public speaker, you know, just dropping everything for weeks at a time. The last half of August last year uh, and doing everything they could around the clock, literally 24 uh, 7 until the uh, U.S. military operation shut down at the airport. And many of them kept at it for weeks and months, and and some are probably still at it, uh, really uh, showing the best of America, like you said. All right, Jim, on to the, I guess, officially the crazy martini here and just the the long-term impact of this. I mentioned it a little bit in terms of how the bad actors around the world are are thinking how they can maybe do more bad things as a result of of, uh, Biden's weakness that that he showed in this situation. But in terms of uh, Biden himself, uh, like we said at the very start, This is where his poll numbers started to sink. When the Afghanistan crisis was building up, he was still above water and pretty healthily above water. Then as those two and a half weeks of of disaster unfolded, he went underwater and he's just kept going further underwater. And other issues, of course, have helped to drive that down, including, you know, our completely open border, which seems intentional. Obviously, the economy with inflation and uh, the gas price situation, the energy policies that are driving people nuts right now. And so there's a lot of factors. But that's the one issue that really sent it in that direction. I think that's when, uh, at least domestically, it seemed like the midterms were potentially going to be something that would definitely not go in his favor, which is potentially a silver lining as well, obviously. But it's almost like a before Afghanistan, after Afghanistan situation with Joe Biden. Uh, whatever genuine trust, goodwill, whatever it is with him uh, that was existing before then evaporated. And it's not only not come back, but it's eroded even further. Yeah, I was going to say, it, you, at the times, you know, when someone's like, oh, my God, how could this be happening? And those of us who argue that the Biden administration is making a terrible, colossal, arguably presidency defining mistake that there were plenty of people who said you know jim in two months nobody's going to be thinking about this jim in three months nobody's going to be paying any attention to afghanistan americans are as done of Af- done with afghanistan as biden is they don't want to hear about it they don't care about this place and in that sense the biden administration did win the bet so to speak because afghanistan did fade from the news cycle other events other you know other problems other issues you know came and took their place but 
I don't. You, I think you look at Biden's approval rating. Clearly, that was the hinge point. Clearly, that was the turning point. Look, Republicans were always going to be skeptical of Biden, and you know, maybe maybe the first couple of weeks he had a little bit of goodwill, and the honeymoon ended pretty quickly. And uh, by that, yeah. But up until then, independents and folks who were unaffiliated had generally had, you know, relatively positive views towards Biden. People were rolling out the uh, vaccines. The pandemic seemed to be ending. The economy was picking up. People were starting to enjoy. You know, something resembling a regular summer, although I think I'd argue summer 2021, you know, COVID was still around. It wasn't quite back to normal. Certainly not like the summer of 2022. And, you know, but the, the Biden had been elected to get America back to normal and just be competent. After Afghanistan, it became very hard to argue that Biden was competent. And I also think, you know, a, a drum that I have beat on this podcast quite a bit over the last couple of months uh, we all knew Biden was old. We all knew that the Biden we saw on the campaign trail in 2019, 2020 was not the same guy we'd seen as vice president just a few years earlier. But people could kind of put it out of their mind. And then right as Kabul was falling, right as it was clear that Taliban was taking over, Biden made, made no public appearances for four days. That was weird. That was unusual during a time of such high crisis. And then when Biden did... He went out in front of camera, the cameras, he read two statements off a teleprompter, took no questions and turned and went back. And that, too, was very strange. And finally, Biden sat down for an interview with George Stephanopoulos. And you can't get much more friendly than the former spin, press secretary and spin doctor for Bill Clinton. And that interview went terribly. And that's when the infamous, that was four or five days ago, man, a response from uh, Biden came. And I think that was the first flashing neon sign that Biden was in way over his head. And in fact, I'm not sure that Biden operates 100% all day long. Um, and we've seen, you know, since then, it's been very, very clear. Biden spends almost every weekend back in Delaware. He very rarely does more than one event, a public event a day. They're almost always around the middle of the day. You don't see him in night trips very much. Up until recently, he hadn't done a lot of travel. They were saying it was because of COVID. But by and large, it began to question, well, this guy is 79, going into 80. Is, is he, you know, how ready is he for this job? Can he handle this job? What's he doing when we aren't seeing him? I think that became a clearer issue after the way he and the administration handled it. And then, of course, like Biden kept insisting he was making the right decision and went to that same tired decision of anybody who opposed any aspect of this wanted the forever wars and, and all that kind of stuff. He was very quick to dodge it. I mentioned the memory issue earlier in this podcast. And I think at that point, Americans get, oh, we got a lemon with this guy. Oh, this is not good. And then a lot of things got worse. You know, gas prices started to go up. Inflation started to go up. The border had been bad his entire presidency. It was very clear nothing was going to be done about it. He wasn't going to announce anything new. The lowering approval rating, you know, uh, I, I don't know if that necessarily played into the outcome of those 2021 elections, uh, you know, Glenn Youngkin winning and the close race in New Jersey and things like that. But I think that really shook Democrats' faith that Biden was the guy who was going to lead them to this grand new era of the Green New Deal and Build Back Better and everything was going to be great and all that kind of stuff. I think people recognized, whoa, this guy really could be in over his head. And I think everything we've seen since then has simply confirmed that. And that's why. Democrats look like they're headed towards a wipeout in the 2022 midterms. So, yeah, they won the the the, the bet that uh, Americans would forget about Afghanistan, but it altered the way Americans saw Biden. And I'd argue he's not only not recovered, uh, it is everything we've seen since then has confirmed those serious doubts that took root during the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, he confirmed what uh, former Defense Secretary Bob Gates said about him. 
back when he still had all of his marbles, and that was that he's been wrong about everything on the foreign stage for 40 years, and now not only is he wrong and uh, lacking in competence, but uh, uh, as to put it politely, uh, it's clear that he's lost his fastball if he ever had one. So, Yeah, and let's also add, like, it, it would be, you know, the policy would be bad enough as is. It's even worse with the extensiveness of his... Um, you know, oh, trust me, we're not going to see folks being evacuated, and I have complete faith in the Afghan. You know, he managed to phrase everything. He made these bold, clear, confident predictions that within two months were all completely refuted. And that was for the reason to say, okay, you know, I don't know if this guy's not paying attention in his uh, in his briefings, or he's just uh, you know hapless, helpless optimist. Whatever it is, he clearly is a guy who. Uh, just really can't, you know, what nothing he says should be taken all that uh, uh, seriously as a, you know, it used to be if the president said it, well, you know, you could put, you could take that to the bank. Clearly with Biden, it's just happy talk. It's spin. And we all know that we're, uh, you know, good, good luck. He doesn't have necessarily have any connection to reality. And he does it on every issue. <laughs> I don't know if that was the first one. He probably had done it on several others, including that, uh, you know, just uh, seasonal, seasonal migration, transitory inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what the issue is, uh, it's not as big of a deal as you think. Anytime it goes well, it's his uh, credit. Whenever it doesn't go well, it's not his fault. Uh, and he just tries to blow smoke at us all the time. And uh, that was the most glaring example. And now we're seeing it elsewhere. And so, yeah, that was... Like you said, perfectly, the hinge point of his presidency. And uh, while it may redound to our political benefit, the damage it's done to our country, our credibility, our alliances around the world, whether people trust us or not, again, incalculable, incalculable. And that's a much bigger deal. So, Jim, uh, wish we had happier things to say. Thanks again to the vets who uh, who stepped up. Obviously, that was certainly a major part of the story. But uh, we thought it was important uh, as we get close to this uh, one-year anniversary, and really the whole month of August is the anniversary of this, uh, to kind of reflect on that and, and how it uh, informs where we are right now. So, Jim, officially enjoy the rest of your vacation. And uh, on tape, I'll, uh, I'll see you in the next edition. Talk to you soon, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about us as well. Thanks very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They really are a huge help to us. Get us on the home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great day and please join us for the next Three Martini Lunch. You know that a lot of the media does not cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In the latest episodes, I discuss how Joe Biden is losing support from his own party as Democrats are looking for a new 2024 nominee and how Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan could be starting unwanted trouble with China. Don't forget to download and subscribe to my daily No Chit Chat podcast. I don't talk about every single issue, just the ones you most need to know. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.